When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Welcome into a very special edition of the Sports Stove Podcast. Today, I am joined by pitcher Josh Lindblom. Josh, thanks for being with us. No problem. Thanks for having me, Ben. Definitely, and I appreciate you taking the time. You know, right now, uh, you're in Nashville, uh, playing in Nashville, which is mm-hmm. where I grew up watching baseball. Uh, I grew up in Murfreesboro, and we go to Nashville Sounds games all the time as a kid and, and uh, in the Brewers organization right now as well. Uh, been a lot of places, been around uh, a couple different spots, and then even Japan uh, there as well, playing and actually uh, great, great time in Japan. MVP season champion uh, there as well, 750 strikeouts while you're there as well. So I want to start with get a little bit into your career, and then we're going to get into the topic of the day, which is Christian athletes uh, in sports and different things that relate to it. Um, but uh, you know, you grew up in Indiana, or at least played high school ball in Indiana. Uh, and then went to school at Tennessee and at Purdue. Uh, what, where, at what point of your life were you like, hey, I think I can actually make a living playing baseball? Uh, a couple of years ago, maybe. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, you know, I was uh, obviously blessed to be able to make some money in, uh, actually in Korea. Um, Korean. But, uh, you know, there's there's a little bit of difference in making a living and making a life mm. um and i always try to make that distinction um but you know not a lot of get not a lot of players get to make a living um playing baseball mm. and so it wasn't you know obviously being in korea that i was able to make some some money and then um coming back and signing with the brewers i was able to make some but uh yeah probably i mean last 40 years maybe so not until the tail end of my career What's the what's it like going to a foreign country playing over there, Korea? You were there uh, for several years, sixty three and thirty four record, three point five five ERA, seven hundred fifty strikeouts, and the MVP in two thousand nineteen. So obviously a lot of success over there. Yeah. Um, but how hard is it to transition to a different country? It was uh, it was difficult. Um, you know, I was actually talking with somebody today about uh, the, some of the values and principles that I learned when I went there. And I was talking about um, the one thing that opened my eyes was that it's, it's very binary in, in the West where things are good or things are bad. And in Korea, it's just different. Um, you know, you're thousands of miles away from home. Um, you're in a country that's far older um, than, you know, the United States. And things are just different. And you can't look at it as good or bad. Um, but it was, you know, amazing experience. And I was lucky to have some people in my life that had been there, um, that helped me transition there as well. So that was, that was really helpful. 
How big a role does family play in in that success in Korea mm-hmm. uh, and that transition, both wife and kids and parents and other things like that? Huge. Uh, you know, I think about my, my family was there the whole time with me. Uh, I have a wife and four children. Um, just three of them were there. Um, but yeah, just just having them there, having a support system there uh, is huge because it it can be very lonely. Uh, being, you know, thousands of miles away from your home. There were times when we were separated, um, but you knew it was just a small sacrifice, um, you know, sacrificed a month here on the front end so that on the back end of my career, we can be together. Uh, but having family there, um, having friends there, you know, your teammates makes such a huge difference. I was really lucky to have awesome teammates while I was there. Uh, so you only have three foreign players per team. And then you're, it's a close-knit group of guys too. The country's small. And you're just you're just able to build really good relationships. So three foreign players outside of Korea. So I mean that doesn't always mean three American players. Mm-hmm. Just three three guys from outside of Korea. Mm-hmm. So did you have guys that you had played with before or knew before? Um, yeah, I had a couple guys that I that I'd known before that I'd played against, competed against coming up to the minor leagues. Um, and then one of the guys, uh, there are actually a group of us, about four four of us that were there for five years together, not mm-hmm. on the same team. Um, but we were there together for five years and, uh, there's, there's a special bond with the, with you have with those guys going through the stuff you do and the experiences. Now, the question always gets asked if you could go back and change anything, would you? Mm -hmm. And the typical stereotypical answer is no, I wouldn't change anything. (laughs) But is that, is that true with you? Is there something you look back on career wise that you thought, man, if I had, I'd done that differently, maybe this would have turned out not saying you're having your regrets, but things that you would do differently. You know, I think the I think the best decision that I made in my career was going to Korea. Hmm. Um, looking back, that you know that opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, and I think maybe before I left for Korea, maybe not being so like stubborn and hard headed, I wish that I could come back with the lessons that I know on the tail end of my career after being in Korea and apply those on the front end. Hmm. Um, but I'd say that'd be the biggest thing is just not being so stubborn, not being so hard headed, uh, being open to, to more, to more things. That's great. So I, I cover a local university, Eastern Kentucky university, um, typically on my Wednesday episodes. And I was talking with a football player last week and you know, his, the deal is, is hey, next year he wants to go to the NFL, but there are other options if he can't make mm-hmm. it. Um, and I think that's a great lesson is, Hey, take, take the opportunities that you have. They can improve mm-hmm. you, get you better, learn things from it. It doesn't mean that the door is shut on mm-hmm. your your big goal, your big dream as well. Yeah, within that. Yeah, no, uh, that's 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 great advice. Um, okay, well, the main reason I wanted to have you on was that you're mm-hmm. a brewer. No, uh, was that uh, <laughs> uh, was talking about Christianity and sports. And yeah. uh, I'm a pastor. I'm a basketball coach, high school basketball coach as well. Um, but, uh, doing the sports talk and doing the, the sports podcast mm-hmm. and things like that, I'm part of a network that's not a Christian network, uh, as a whole. And a lot of guys I work with, you know, we're very different in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so the environment can be interesting at times, but, um, I wanted to bring you on cause you're very vocal, uh, especially on social media, mm-hmm. um, just about Christianity and what it means. And you've even opened up for questions for people to ask you questions mm-hmm. and thoughts, get your ideas. You're doing some writing, um, and things mm-hmm. like that as well. So, I want to start with the, um, I guess probably this, maybe the most common question, maybe not, is obviously it's hard for a Christian to be mm-hmm. Christian-like. 
in a very worldly environment, a locker mm-hmm. room, stereotypically a not a very godly place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you have to say about just that that basic uh, Christians within a locker room setting and uh, the struggle versus the uh, victory, things like that, that go involved there? Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's obviously difficult. Um, and like some background on, on me, I think to kind of set the stage here. Uh, so a lot of the questions that I get now, um, from Christian athletes like this one, uh, I I was not satisfied with those answers. Hmm. And so that sent me on this path, um, finished my undergrad in biblical studies and then finished my master's as well. And so just starting to think deeply about these things, um, you know, I, I think there's athletes out there that want a safe space to um, to ask questions that maybe people might think are dumb uh, mm. or that, you know, they might get thrown back in their face. So I, I think your question is a great example of that. So, you know, as a Christian, how do we think about being Christian in, you know, uh, the locker room? Um, and, you know, I think when I look back over my career, there's kind of like two paths you can take. And it's like, there's the one path that's you're, you're very, very holy and you separate yourself from all of those things. And then in doing so, you can almost alienate yourself from your teammates because, um, you don't want to be a part of those or the other path is, is blending yourself in with your teammates in the clubhouse. And then there really is no distinction between, you know, the Christian and the non-Christian. Um, and I've always felt like there might be a better middle way. So it's, you know, how do you, uh, how do you wade that water? How do you remain Christian? Um, and, you know, advice that I would have is I think first that we need to be comfortable with our faith. Um, we need to be able to articulate our faith and what that means to us um, and just really dig down deep of why is it that I don't want to be involved in these things, um, but whatever those things might be. Um, but, you know, like, let's just take language, for example. Uh, you know, a locker room might not be the best place where language is expressed. Um, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with swearing or cussing. Um, I think that sometimes that's a natural uh like it just happens and you know no one is going to hell because they said a cuss word uh by any means um but our language is one of the ways in which we um can witness um to 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 our faith and you know the bible has a host of passages on controlling our speech and it's really a manifestation of something going on inside of us that maybe we don't have control over um so Somebody comes up to you, hey, you know, Vince, why don't you why don't you cuss? Well, I know that the ramifications of me cussing might be that I don't have self control in other areas. So one way for me to exhibit self control is not by swearing in certain situations. Um, so I hope. I mean, does that make sense at all? Yeah, yeah, definitely, and that's great because so mm-hmm. along with pastor, and I also work. Uh, we started the church that I pastor, so I'm still working outside the church. So I'm in a secular workplace along with the mm-hmm. church as well. And so um, it's not a locker room, but it's a very, at times, very vulgar <laughs> place to be. Yeah. 
still nonetheless. And yeah, I think I think you said that that well because I you're right. A lot of times we go to one or two extremes um, where we just completely it comes across whether we mean it or not. It comes across as judgmental and pious, mm-hmm. um, where we're so holy that we just we don't talk to anybody and all that kind of stuff. And then, like you said, the other way is that you blend in, and and the Bible clearly states that mm-hmm. we're supposed to be different. Um, it's yeah. it's part of what. Uh, our actions can prove our faith by the way that we live and things like that as well. Um, I think that's a great point. When, yeah. when did you, uh, when does your, I don't, I don't, I don't know the terminology you use. Uh, so when, when did you get saved? When, when did you become a Christian? Mm-hmm. Um, when did that yeah. start your, your walk with God start? Yeah, I don't, I don't have a cool salvation story. Um, and that was honestly, it was something that I struggled with early mm-hmm. on in my career, in my life, because I had run into people that uh, had these really awesome salvation stories. And it was like, you know, I wasn't doing anything. I didn't know who God was. And then God intervened and spoke to me. You know, I was in an alley one night at 3 a.m. after being at a bar. And I'm like, man, I need a story like that. So like, I kind of felt guilty for a long time. But I look back on my life, um, Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. My grandfather was a pastor for 40 some years. My grandmother played the organ. Um, my earliest memories in childhood were in a church. Mm. And so I look back and I look at my life and I, do, I can't pinpoint the moment that like, yes, this is it. Mm. But I look back and I say, man, what a testament of God's grace that all along this way, like there really was never a time that I didn't know who God was, um, that I didn't know uh, what Jesus had done for me. And it was kind of like just the slow process of God bringing me to an awareness of what he had done in my life. And it's through the people that um, he had placed in my life. And it just, I was like, man, I'm yeah, like I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm going to heaven. I, I can't like pinpoint that moment. And it sounds bad saying because I think we're so conditioned because we get put on the spot. Well, what's your, what's your salvation story? You need to, when you evangelize, you need to know what it is. And I just say, I, I don't have one of those stories. Um, I, I see God's grace working in my life throughout the entire, um, throughout the entirety of my life. And I don't have that date in my book uh, or my Bible. Yeah, I grew up similar. My well, my dad was in ministry, wasn't a pastor, but we worked at a Christian camping ministry. So I was around preaching all the time, uh, was saved as a child. And when I became a pastor 10 years ago, I had a guy in my church. He, he had an awesome testimony. He got saved in prison. He was mm-hmm. uh, drug issues and was in prison. And he got saved and he told me we'd go golf all the time. He say, he say, preacher, he said, you have a you have a very boring testimony. And I said, I got no problem with that. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm thankful that I didn't have to experience some yeah. of the things that he had to experience to, in order to see who God was. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, for me, that was it was kind of a, a growing experience for me to realize yeah. hey, there's, there's there's nothing wrong with a boring testimony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the wonderful thing is that God that God saves us, and that's that's what matters yeah. more than the the yeah. story that got me there. I suppose. Yeah, and I think just you know God's pursuit. You know, for both of us, like I look back at my life and God's pursuit of me through um, throughout my whole life. You know, even when I was doing the the Christian two step of law, grace, law, grace, law, grace, uh, he never stopped pursuing me. And like that's almost a miracle in and of itself that yeah. he ne- he just never stopped pursuing me. Yeah. When, when would you say you started getting bold in your faith? Um, was it, has it been something your whole life? Is it something that you grew into? Mm-hmm. Definitely something I grew into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would say I've always been pretty good, like one-on-one. Um, but being more vocal, uh, you know, I throw the four or five, six years ago, I throw the random Bible verse on my Instagram or, um, Twitter and not really provide context or anything just, you know, for the likes or whatever it might be. Cause everyone needs a Bible verse every morning. Um, but just probably in the last couple of years, as I've been more comfortable with like, as I've grown in knowledge and wisdom um, and I feel like I have something to share. Mm. I, I think just probably in the last couple of years uh, that I've been more bold and vocal with that. Did you find is, is the pro locker room, worse than college, worse than high school? Is it similar uh, as far as kind of that looking at guys, you know, people that will listen to this are going to come mm-hmm. from all different backgrounds. Some of them won't be athletes, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, have you seen that progressively get worse or harder? Um, or was there a time earlier that it was harder than it is with adults? Worse in what way? Like worse than more vulgar, more, um, uh, anti-Christian. Uh, no, I don't know. If, yeah, I don't know worse. Um, I think that early there's a lack of maybe knowledge um, for what Christianity actually is. Mm. And so may, maybe combative is the right word. So I feel like early in my faith, it was more combative. Um, people were contending. Is it true? Mm. Like, is Christianity true? And then. Um, as we get older, we become like, we become a little more like pragmatic. So the question becomes, does it work? Mm. And uh, so I would say that might be a little difference. And as I've grown and as I've been in different locker rooms or clubhouses, um, guys do guys or girls want to do what works. And a lot of times our faith, uh, we come to, we come to a decision with our faith that it, um, you know, I think about C.S. Lewis's four loves and we start off loving something because we need it. And then we start loving it because of what it does for us. And I think a lot of people might sit there where it's like, I love my sport for what it does for me. It mm-hmm. makes me important. It gives me, brings me honor. It brings me fame. Um, and that's where a lot of people sit. So it's, it's very pragmatic faith. Uh but to graduate from that and just to love Jesus for who he is. Um, that's, I think what's the, the trajectory that I see a lot of people heading towards. One of the things that I've had to battle with in the workplace is stereotypes and everybody mm-hmm. deals with them in different ways. 
But have you found that trying to uh, battle against stereotypes, maybe there was a player that came before you that was Mm -hmm. a little crazy (laughs) um, over the top or whatever it may be. And now you've got teammates that are like, well, yeah, he's just, he's he's probably just one of those guys. Um, Have you had to battle with stereotypes, Christian stereotypes within the locker rooms? Yeah, I think I have definitely. And one of the most beneficial things to do in those situations is ask what they think a Christian is. Um, and it's the kind of like, oh, you're, you know, you get the comment, oh, you're, you're one of those Christian guys. And it's like, what do you, what do you really mean by like, what is a Christian guy? Because I don't, I don't know, like, I I need to know what you're thinking I am before I jump to any conclusions. And a lot of times, um, people don't, they don't have an answer. Mm. Um, and I think that goes back to what you're saying earlier about, you know, being a light, uh, what does it look like to actually be Christian in sports? Um, and it can look a lot of different ways, but, uh, not to give the cliche answer, you know, it looks like Jesus. Um, but these are things that we need to wrestle with. Um, what does it look like? You know, like the question you asked, uh, some of the questions that I get, you know, is anger a good motivating factor? Like, I mean, who, who asked that? <laughs> Like that's a, that's such an unbelievable question when you think about it, but it's something that people are wrestling with the faith for what does this picture of a Christian really look like, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in sport. Yeah. And it's bleeding. I mean, it's always been this way, but it's bleeding and society is, is gradually continually getting, getting worse, I mm-hmm. guess it's been bad forever. But um, when you're a Christian in, in any workplace, in the locker room, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. society is always going to be anti-God. It's, the Bible tells us mm-hmm. that the things of the mm-hmm. world are at enmity with the things of God. They're, they're, they're mm-hmm. battling against things of God. So now it seems like society says, if you say anything that is biblical, almost anything that's biblical, then it's hate speech. Yeah. Um, so now it's getting harder and harder for people to speak. They feel like it is. I don't know that it mm-hmm. is. I think whether that's the, the mindset is, well, I, if I say anything, then yeah. I'm going to get canceled. Then I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to, it can mm-hmm. hurt my career. It could hurt my standing in, in life, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Do you have any experience with that? And then what, what would be some advice for or encouragement for people to still speak truth and love, um, but willingly, boldly speaking truth? I, I haven't had any um, experience with that. And, um, you know, I think, I think my advice is that we've kind of lost the ability to do dialogue. Um, and that's a skill that needs to be developed. You know, not every conversation needs to be a fight. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the, the posture that a lot of people take. And it just comes down to like understanding people, um, to building relational equity and to get to the point to be able to talk to somebody and dialogue with them. Um, but usually we skip over all those steps and we barely know someone. And then we try to tell them how to live their life. Uh, and then it makes it really difficult to even build any type of relationship whatsoever. So, you know, you think, I think about, it's very similar to like, you know, my wife and I, like if I would have gone to my wife when we first started dating in high school and I would have told her everything she needed to change and I, I don't do this now so I, never, I don't tell my wife she needs to change but she probably wouldn't be my wife mm-hmm. um 
I had to build some relational equity. She had to build some relational equity with me. So that way she could speak into my life. And I think the first thing that I would say is like, just be somebody's friend, Mm. like be somebody's friend and let them know that you, a, you care about them. Um, not just in order so you can share the gospel with them. Um, but that you like really care about him as a person, because when we look at scripture uh, and we look at Genesis one, that every human being has been made in God's image. Mm -hmm. And if God is the most important being in the universe, which I think that he is, then to carry his image means that there's a, there's something important about humanity, no matter what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And, to be human is to be endowed with inherent infinite value. And we need to treat people that way. Um, and so building relational equity, um, building a platform um, where you can speak into somebody's life. And that doesn't happen in one conversation, but I think we launch, we think that every conversation has to be 280 characters or whatever it is now. So we immediately launch into whatever, we want and it's just you know it's just understanding people Uh, like really wanting to know where they stand entering into their world um and and listening you know because listening is a skill you know Mm -hmm. to to get up from the table and to sit down on the bench with them and enter into their world and to look and see this is why i see this this way this is why i see this this way and we don't ever take the i don't say we ever but very rarely do we take the time to actually listen. A lot of times we just listen until we have an answer and then we stop and we wait to give our, to give the, the answer back to somebody. So that'd be the biggest thing is just build, build relationships um, and really listen and learn how to dialogue with people. I think it goes right back to what Christ said, you know, when he was asked, what's the greatest of the commandments? He said, well, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and without being asked this question, he went right into the second commandment. Yeah. He says, like, like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. And I think yeah. even as Christians, we know the verse, we know the words, mm-hmm. we know the thought, but to actually truly love the person next to us is something I mm-hmm. think we fail in oftentimes. Yeah. We love ourselves <laughs> and we love the idea of us being able to fix them. <laughs> but the reality mm-hmm. is, is That's good. I can't, I can't fix somebody else. God yeah. can. Uh, and in order for God to do that, and he might use me to, to help, but mm-hmm. I have to love that person biblically, love that person. Yeah. yeah. And what you said, yeah, what you just said is so freeing too. Mm-hmm. knowing that I don't have to save this person with this argument mm-hmm. that frees, you know, that's such, that's such a good point that you make because that frees us to just honor that second commandment or the, you know, the, the second greatest commandment. You know, I can love God by loving this person and it's, it's out of my hands mm-hmm. that if this person's saved or not, there's nothing that I can physically do that will get this person into heaven. Right. Um, and, and that's just a freeing feeling. Um, so that's, that's good. What you said. How, um, let's, let's kind of think, um, mm-hmm. high school, uh, and that yeah. level high school kids in a locker room, uh, at school, and they they want to live their faith, you know. Back in the what late nineties, maybe early two thousands, there was that popular bracelet, the WWJD bracelet, yeah. and people would wear it, but no one lived it. Uh, it was just a it was just a gimmick. But um, 
what would you encourage or how would you encourage high school Christians in their schools, in their locker rooms, um, in their environments to really start to make a change in, in their in their walk with God and in how they live out Christianity for their friends to see? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think this goes for for any age Christian. Um whether it's new believer, old believer, is find somebody to disciple you and mentor you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wish that I would have taken the intentional steps to walk up to somebody in my church when I was 14, 15 years old and said, hey, can we, you know, obviously you probably can't leave school and go to lunch in high school, but, you know, on Sunday mornings after church, can we can we go have lunch? Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until I started doing that, that like I saw my spiritual growth and formation kind of like catapult. Um, and it, that's so important, you know, community is so important. And it's oftentimes the first thing that we neglect. Um, we want to do stuff on our own. We want to be self-sufficient and that's just not the way that God has wired us. So, you know, whether it's FCA before school um, or finding somebody older than you, I think that, building a community of people around you is, is vitally important, especially at a young age um, to hold you accountable and to help you grow. Well, that's great. Uh, Yeah. It's as like, it seems like we always think we know everything or at least Mm -hmm. we know enough and we're afraid Mm -hmm. to actually um, almost submit ourselves to someone else to train us and Mm -hmm. uh, to, to open up to them and let them actually teach us is huge. You know, you think about it, um, church, it's not a building, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. like God, God created church and mm-hmm. part of church. It's more than, uh, uh, everybody come in, sit down, sing, preach, that kind of thing. It is that community and it is mm-hmm. people that God has placed. And he, he said the older need to teach the younger. And the problem is, is oftentimes the older are too busy judging the younger or the younger mm-hmm. are too prideful to ask ask the elder to teach, but God actually instituted the church partly for that reason is for us to learn and train together, um, sit underneath people and listen. Mm -hmm. Um, and so few people have a mentor, a a biblical scriptural mentor to really help them through. And I can't imagine, I I have a great father, love my dad to death. He was in ministry. He was uh, important to me, both, you know, as a dad, but also as a spiritual mentor and things like that mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I had other guys that, that helped, but no one that ever actually said, Hey, let's regularly, let's sit down yeah. and chat. How you doing? What questions do you have? Let's study some yeah. life, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and it doesn't have to be any earth shattering, <laughs> you know, conversation. That's the, you know, just somebody, that you see in church or in your life that embodies embodies a way of life that you think is appealing. Mm-hmm. And somebody early on in my life told me that you should always have somebody in front of you that's discipling or mentoring you. And then somebody behind you. Um, and this just becomes this like rubber band effect where like the person behind you is pushing you forward. The person in front of you is pulling you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just that simple principle of having two people in your life, uh, one ahead of you and then one behind you that you're, you're discipling and mentoring can be, you know, an unbelievable tool to seeing your spiritual growth and formation kind of take off. 
How important has it been for you? Because obviously being a college athlete and a professional athlete, um, it gets hard to at certain times of the year to regularly be in a normal, regular church service. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some ways that you found for other guys that are going through what you've gone through to stay active in a time where you get to hear God's word taught to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, you know, we have baseball and, and professional baseball. We have baseball chapel on Sundays and the chaplains do a good job of, you know, trying to be present. Um, but a lot of it comes down to the, to the individual players. Um, and having somebody that can step up and say, Hey, one time on the road, we're going to, we're going to meet and, you know, we're just going to read through John one and we're going to talk about it. And so I think the intentionality of that, of saying, you know, we just need, it's something you just need to do. And we have so many hours in the day that need to be redeemed as professional athletes. You know, we, on the road, we don't go to bed, go to, go to bed, uh, go to the field until three, three ish. So from the time you wake up until three, we sit in our hotel rooms, like I've been doing for the majority of the day. And you just realize how much time you waste. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then even, you know, finding, I've done a better job later in my career of finding people in the community that I'm in, um, that get me away from sport mm-hmm. because it can consume me. Uh, but, to to get away from sport, to have people that have, you know, normal lives, quote unquote, uh, has been beneficial. So finding pastors, um, you know, j- just getting away from, from that sport world has, has really been beneficial to me as well. How for, um, cause obviously, and that, that with that, to be a professional athlete, you have to put in the work. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't be like me and just, you know, play occasionally. <laughs> you have to actually put in mm-hmm. the work. Uh, to do it. So how do you find that balance, especially early in your career uh, as you're trying to get established? How do you find that balance between doing the proper work to be a professional mm-hmm. athlete while still maintaining the proper time with God? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, the, the thing that's nice about, and I didn't realize this until we had our first daughter eight years ago, almost nine years ago now, but our days as professional athletes are set up great to spend time with God. We just don't do it. Hmm. And so, you know, I go to the field from, let's call it one thirty or two, and I'm there till 11 ish after the game. So I have a nine hour work day and that kind of like sections off that part of my day. And it'll, it allows me to realize like when I'm not at the field, like I don't have to worry about the field. I don't have to worry about sport. I don't have to worry about that side of my life. Like I can worry about whatever I want to worry about away from the field. But for those, you know, nine hours at the field, that's, that's work time. You know, that's time to study. That's time to train. That's time to go over scouting reports. That's time to do all of these things. Um, And then hopefully that time that I'm spending away from the field with God and I'm allowing God to form me and shape me into the person that he wants me to be, that then bleeds over into who I am at the field. Um, and then that allows me to, to witness and, and be, be myself in those situations like we talked about earlier. But if I'm not taking care of that stuff before I get to the field, good luck trying to do it at the field. <laughs> Great point. Um, a question that you were asked, or at least similar question, is how does a Christian, um, I guess, stand out amidst so-called failure, um, mm-hmm. athletic failure, losing, 
um, not performing to what you want to perform to. Mm-hmm. Um, how can a Christian stand out even in those times? Yeah, I think uh, it's setting. Obviously, failure is not fun. Um, I've failed more times than feels like more times than I've succeeded in my career. Um, but, you know, failure, failure is a lesson. Um, and then also failure, I think, when set within a biblical worldview, uh, I think I wrote, um, you know, that we do live in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. And we, where we become frustrated is because of the work we put in and the results that we get. You know, I think that I wrote, you know, in our fallen world, two plus two does not always equal four. And that might seem unfair, but that's just the world we live in. And then we look back to what God is doing and God is not just redeeming us as human beings. He's redeeming all of creation. And so, you know, I think setting failure within that framework and realizing that, you know, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. Um, but also that God is redeeming that and can redeem that failure and use it for good. Um, that, you know, Romans eight twenty eight that, you know, not, not all things are good, but God can use all things for good. Mm-hmm. Um, so failure in sport, failure in life is a tool that God can use to shape and form us. Um, and it just kind of, when I think when you set failure within that framework, it kind of changes your perspective a little bit. Um, it doesn't make it easy easier. I realize that it doesn't mean that you go out and that you, you know, you're happy go lucky after you fail, because I don't think God wants that either. Um, God wants us to work as hard as we can. Excellence is really important to God. And, um, you know, it just, it just helped me free myself from the result that I don't have control over that I can do all of the right things and not get the right result. Uh, but to realize that the result really has no bearing on who I am as a person and my identity. Um, and so oftentimes the, that, that line is blurred where we think that our identity is tied up in a stat line or in a score or in a win loss record. And, and it's just not. You know, it's one of those things where I think we, again, we all fail every, every single mm-hmm. one of us. That's, that's, that's part of life. <laughs> that's yeah. what's here. The wonderful thing is, is that as Christians, you know, we serve a God that doesn't fail. And mm-hmm. so even though sometimes we have a hard time seeing the fact that my mistake is not God's mistake, mm-hmm. um, I may fail, uh, but that, but God's still there. God's still able. He's still capable um, mm-hmm. and he can fix or he can uh, use, like you said, that, that failure for good. And oftentimes he does. And I think we see that in biblical examples all throughout scripture where humans failed and God used it, used it for mm-hmm. good as well. And I think, again, it's important that we just um, I think if our eyes are on God mm-hmm. first ourselves, then yeah. in our failures, still it'll be easier for us to press forward within our failures because our focus is on we did everything we could to please God in that circumstance. And if we did that, then at the end of the day, you know, we're just depending on God to, to pull us out of it, so to say. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, <clears throat> and a lot of, a lot of times as we think deeply about these things, the answers can sometimes come out unsatisfying because, you know, yeah. when you think about it, my level, like if I fail, I don't have a job. Mm-hmm. Like that's just the way 
that's just the way that it goes. Um, if you're a high school coach uh, and you fail and you don't win, you might be uh, really good with the kids, but you're probably not going to have a job for very long. And I mean, the same thing at, at the college level. So it's not tying, you know, that identity to the win loss record um, because it, it's, it's hard. You know, I don't, you can't really sugarcoat these answers. They sound good, but there's still a lot that needs to be wrestled with. Um, yeah. um, is a Christian allowed to yell at an official? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't see why they're not allowed. It's probably not the right thing to do, but uh, I've, I've done it before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've done it before. And then I've, and then I've apologized afterwards. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Right. I mean, if we do something that's not right, then we got to make it right. That's, that's what it comes back to is yeah. um, that's the wonderful thing about, uh, you know, first John one, nine. If we confess mm-hmm. our sins, it's faithful and yeah. just to forgive us our sins. So, um, but we got to ask, you know, <laughs> we've got to yeah. admit that we're and I wrong. Think there's, you know, there's this like misconception that, and this goes back to caricature of like a Christian athlete is the nice guy. Yeah. Like Jesus is the nice guy. And when you, you know, when you, I just finished a class um, at Baylor and uh, their sport ministry certificate. And one of the modules we talked about, in Revelation, um, I think it was Revelation 5, maybe, where John looks and he sees the lamb, but then he looks again and he sees the lion. Mm-hmm. And that's the picture that we get of Jesus is that he's the lion of Judah, but he's also the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the lamb who it looks like in defeat actually loses, but it's through that defeat that he actually wins. And then you look at Jesus's life and you see, you know, the people that thought they were encountering a lamb, probably the Pharisees, the religious leaders, ended up encountering a lion. Hmm. And the people that thought they would encounter a, a lion, the sinners, the sick, actually ended up encountering a lamb. And so I think there's this tension and there's this dichotomy within the Christian athlete where competition is, is good. Um, You know, competition is something that God can use to shape us. Um, Sport is good. And you don't have like being the nice guy. You can be trying to think of the way to say this. Like you can be a lion and still be Christian. Yeah. You can have this inner drive to want to win um, and still be Christian. You don't have to be the nice guy that, you know, when you lose, eh, everything's all good. It's, it's okay. <laughs> whatever. Like, no, I don't think God wants that. Yeah. I think too often we are the lion when we should be the lamb and we're the mm-hmm. lamb when we should be the lion. Yeah, uh, that's good. I think I'm going to write a sermon on that. Well, yeah, yeah. I think it's perfect because you have, again, the way that so many Christians respond to the world is so aggressive sometimes when it needs to be uh, more Christ-like and and more lamb-like. And then there's times when we need to be bolder, need to be more aggressive and we kind of sit back and do nothing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that's, again, go ahead. ahead. I think just just studying, studying Christ, And his life on earth, I think you see that. You see the times yeah. where he was bold and the times where he turned the other cheek, so to say. Mm-hmm. 
and you look at, you know, you look at the Sermon on the Mount hmm. and, you know, meek to be meek. Like a lot of people see meekness and it's like, it's the passive guy. It's the, it's kind of like the, the frail, weak guy. Um, and, you know, meekness should never be mistaken for weakness because there are a, like, as a Christian, there are a core set of principles that I live my life by. And these are like unchanging truths that I've built my life upon. And I live out of those. And that doesn't mean that when somebody com tries to combat my ideas that I attack like a lion, I try to understand. Um, but my meat don't mistake meekness for weakness. Um, because when you look at Jesus, um, you know, I, I don't think you can call him weak by any means. No. Um, kind. Yes. Understanding. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I don't know too many people that would, would die innocently and mm -hmm. not say a word. That's pretty strong to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but like you said, when we study Jesus's life on earth, we get this more like robust picture of what all of those things mean applied to our lives. Yeah. I always heard, uh, meekness is power under control. Mm -hmm. And, yep. um, you know, when you have, you have, it's not that you don't have the ability, uh, or, mm -hmm. or it's just, you are, I think maybe patient is even a good word for it. Yeah, it's good. Christ, Christ was so patient. It is. Mm -hmm. God is so patient. Um, and you know, to, to be able to understand that and think through, okay, when did Christ, uh, show patience with someone when I don't, <laughs> mm -hmm. and how can I put that patience into my life? And, mm -hmm. uh, and again, using Christ as my example, be patient with people. They can mm -hmm. disagree with me and we can have dialogue like you talked about mm -hmm. earlier. And again, that is so important to be able to have a conversation with someone and not be an argument. And mm -hmm. there might be, even be a time where you start as a conversation. And when it starts to turn to argument, you say, all right, hold on, let's take a break. We can come back to this another yeah. time um, and step away from it. So you don't do something as a Christian that's going to turn them off from ever listening yeah. to anything about God again. Yeah. I, you know, the, I, there's a camera who it was, maybe it was Josh McDowell or, um, I can't remember who it was, but I was talking about evangelism. He said, one of the first questions to ask is if I provided you with evidence, would you change your mind? Mm. And if the answer is no, then that's probably not a conversation that needs to be had. Yeah. Um, because you, I mean, you don't want to argue with people mm. because that doesn't do anybody any good. Right. That's a great, that's a great statement. I like that. I've, I've, I've said that before, uh, similar just in talking with church members. <laughs> if yeah. I can prove to you, uh, would you yeah. change your mind? Eh, no. Yeah. All right. Well, then we're not going to have the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, yep. not, not worth the time. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of people out there um, that will listen, that will converse, mm -hmm. um, that we need to be careful that we're not wasting time arguing with people instead mm -hmm. of actually having helpful conversations with people who are willing to have them. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we, we overlook a lot of people in our lives that we could have really good conversations with and really help out. Um, but we just, we yeah. waste so much time arguing with other people that aren't ever mm -hmm. going to change. Yep. That's good. 
All right. Well, Josh, we're coming up to the end of our time. Uh, where can people find uh, the articles that you've been writing? I don't know if you call them articles or not, but the things. That yeah, you've been a little writing. essay type deals. Just um, on my Twitter is at Josh Lindblom 52. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, if people have questions, send them over. I love studying. Um, that's kind of like my daily routine now. I'm trying to do one a day. Um, questions that people have that come in when I get them. I just sit down and that's kind of like my, I use that as my devotional, hmm. uh, write a quick little 300 word answer. Um, it probably doesn't maybe answer all of the question, but I think it gets to the heart of, of some of it. So. Yeah. That's awesome. And, uh, you're with the Nashville sounds right now, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, how soon before you take Josh Hader's job? Not anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy um well again i'm a brewers fan i i'm I, it's a, a true honor to talk with you and i love yeah. that uh, we we're able to have these conversations yeah. and i've been blessed to, to interview a number of people and most of the time we just stick to sports with it uh but occasionally mm-hmm. um tom allen from indiana indiana football coach mm-hmm. uh was very generous and we we actually went to the same bible college uh, really. many years apart, but, uh, nonetheless, a little connection with him, but, um, Josh, good luck moving forward with your career, uh, you. and good luck uh, as well. Uh, and I say good luck, but in your walk with the Lord and, and in your continued efforts to, uh, please him and honor him in your life. And Thank I appreciate you. what you, what you post on social media. It's encouragement to me. And, uh, it's nice to see lights in darkness. Um, and not, it's not being mean to everyone else, but, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but it yeah. is it's refreshing. It's refreshing to see some lights out there. Thank you. I appreciate that. It means a lot. All right. Well, Josh, again, thank you so much for being on with us and uh, looking forward. Uh, if I can if I can get to a sounds game, I will. Uh, but uh, I'm not in Nashville anymore, so it makes it a little yeah. harder to do. But, uh, how's the park down there, by the way? I've heard the, the park. Beautiful. I haven't been there since the new park, and I've heard it's yeah. awesome. It's beautiful. I played at the old park. The old park was not beautiful. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I held a special place in anybody's heart, but it was not beautiful when I was there. Uh, yeah. The new one is a huge upgrade. Yeah. So, uh, Greer had uh, the Greer. plywood, the plywood outfield walls. Um, and uh, there wasn't, other, yeah, yeah, other than the scoreboard, there wasn't much nice about, and I don't even know it was nice. It just looked cool with the guitar. Yeah. But. We, well, we've got the guitar board again. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, awesome. It's stayed. <laughs> All right, Josh. Thanks. Thanks so much. Sure. Appreciate it. Yep. Appreciate it.